Hi, I'm Mike McGinn, and welcome to You, Me, Us Now, which is a podcast about people who try to change things and who they are, why they got involved, and and what they're working on. I started this podcast because I was an environmental and neighborhood advocate myself. I was trying to make the world a better place, and I just got more and more involved, and one day I decided I could be mayor of Seattle, and, and that actually happened. I became mayor of Seattle, and then I wasn't mayor of Seattle anymore. Uh, but now I have this podcast, and what I'm trying to do in this podcast is just bring to you stories of people so maybe you can learn something, maybe you can be inspired about what they do. Today is a really special show because so far I've been interviewing folks from Seattle, people I met as mayor of Seattle. But we happen to have in town today a visiting delegation of folks from an organization called ELAW. And ELAW is an organization that connects environmental advocates around the entire world to see if they can, they can help each other. And my guest today is Satoti Parmelo, and he is an advocate for African pastoralists. Um, he's from Tanzania. He grew up as a Maasai tribesman. And the Maasai live on livestock. They live by grazing cattle and moving from waterhole to waterhole, and that's their existence. And as you can guess, that type of existence is under threat. Now, one of the fun things I get to do in my show is pick music, and I try not to be an obvious guy when I start it. But that was You Masakela, Grazing in the Grass, and it's a great song. I've always loved it. Jazz was something that African countries took to, and that was a song that came back to us, and we heard it, and we loved it. And, and so this is my first foray on You, Me, Us Now into cross-fertilization across continents to learn about activism. So, Saitoti, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. You work for an organization called the Association for Law and Advocacy for Pastoralists. Yes. What is a pastoralist? A pastoralist is a person that depends on livestock for his livelihood. And you, you yourself were raised in a well, pastoralist family. Oh, yeah. I'm a pastoralist. Um, what I can say, I'm a full pastoralist because my parents are pastoralists. And they uh, grow in pastoralism. So let's, I, I just need to talk about this. You have to understand, I've never been to Africa. I know very little about this except what I read. But I, I would love to hear your story. Tell me about how you grew up. I grew up in a family um, which is basing on pastoralism. It's their livelihood system. And uh, my parents, or my father was a polygamous. And it is the nature of the pastoralists that most of them are polygamous in marriage. And this is because of the nature of their livelihood. They have head of cattle, and they all need to be supervised. And uh, in African country, we have what is called uh, extended families, that we live in a common way of life. So with the pastoralist nature, um, we, have, uh, we can find in a family we are more than um, seven or ten people in one household. Could be my parents could be my uncles, could be my other relatives. So um, I grew actually in, in this family and uh, later being one of the fourth uh, members of the family actually. My elder sister and then the, bo- the elder brother, then another brother, then it's me. So I'm the fourth one within the family. So you say you live communally basically. And, and so describe your, when you were growing up, describe what your living conditions were. 
Wow. Um, for us, it's like um, if, uh, for example, today Saitoti has five cattle and uh, Michael, you have none. And I see like your family is getting hard to live because of lack of bread or daily clothing or food or shelter, whatever it may be. Um, then I take a task of bringing you to me as long as you are my brother. So we can live in one place. All the services that I provide to my family, including shelter and food and clothing, so it has to your family as well. With this, we share all together. You take care of my livestock. I take care of your family. And all together, we live in that way. That's amazing. That's amazing. So if you grew up as a pastoralist, you mentioned as we were before the show that you went to university. Um, how did you make the decision to go to university? Well, my father did not actually go to school and he knew nothing about education. But uh, um, it is an amazing because he first decided me to go away from home because, you know, with pastoralism, they say uh, when a person goes away from home, then it's likely to get lost. So it's like he never come back. So my father was like, I have to try this and see if this is the reality. Then he took me to school, of which I went to uh, primary school, then later to high school. Then my performance were encouraging, actually paying to paying school fee and whatever was also one of the challenges that you could face. But uh, so you were you were a good student. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, actually, I managed to join a university. While I was in a university, actually, I felt I feel like um, I have to go back to my family and help pastoralists to fight against their livelihood. Because by then, when we, when we go back to the holidays, when we went to Grace, there are some other places that we are restricted to feed our livestock. So, hold it. So, you're, by the way, where were you in university? I was in Arusha, Tanzania. Okay. Yeah. So, when you went back, you were discovering that some of the grazing lands that the pastoralists had, that your tribe had previously used were no longer available to you? Exactly. It is like it's so minimal and under restriction. In Tanzania, we have what is called the protected areas and national parks, of which is the government that actually declares it or creates it. And uh, with this at a point, um, these designated areas come or expand towards the places where the livestock, the pastoralists live in. So you find that today the, the, the border or the, the, the area of the park or of the protected areas has expanded towards the livelihood area. So you find that you've got no time to go to feed in. And whenever you go, you'll be kind of being restricted and forbidden. So basically, if you tried to enter these areas, what would happen if a, if a tribesman appeared with some uh, cattle to graze oh. in the restricted area? Well, one, um, cattle can be, can be taken and be collected in one area. And uh, a person grazing cattle be beaten, uh, can be harassed. Actually, it depends on the person that they found on that day. So uh, with this, then I felt like I have to fight against the uh, pastoralist rights for them to get accessible to the land for their livelihood. So what I gathered from talking to you and from this conversation is that you know the biggest challenge to pastoralists is removal of land that they relied upon. Exactly. This is what we say, land grabbing. So are there other examples of land grabbing? 
that you face? Well, um, we have investors. There's one example of uh, the Arabian Emirates company, which was actually granted one of the blocks in the village for hunting purposes. It turned into um, a disaster for the pastoralists because the land which was actually given for hunting extended towards the pastoralist area. And as a result, the pastoralists were then forbidden to feed their livestock in or to get any service from within the, the hunting block, the so-called. And with this, city has been so problematic because people have been fighting for it. It's quite a long time then, since the 2000s up to now, still some cases are there. And uh, without considering the indigenous people's rights of the pastoral living in the area. So let me, so it was, a hunting preserve was created. Yeah, it is for, the government. The government created the preserve. And who, who hunts in the preserve? Um, actually, for your knowledge, um, Tanzania um, land is divided in three parts. We have the so-called general land. We have the so-called uh, village land and reserved land. And uh, within the village land is actually under the authorization of the government authority from the village. So it is the government, the village government that actually has the powers too. But there is a, a clawback in our constitution. That a, a clawback? A clawback provision uh-huh. that the constitution, that the government, uh, the president has the powers or is entrusted with the land rights for the citizens. So, he, so even though there is a grant of land to the villages, and, this is the, is, and the village land is the grazing land, mm-hmm. The government has the authority to say, speak, working on behalf of all the people we have decided the village should no longer have control of this land. He has the right to declare that piece of land for the so-called public interest. And so in this case... But. Yes. But. Regarding the public interest has also to make what is called um, compensations to those people who will be removed from that area. Got it. So it is like um, prior to the declaration of this land belongs to or has to be declared for the public interest, there is what is called uh, information sharing, of which actually under the law is, is so required. But then it is now the opposite of what is now we are talking. As one of the factors actually that led me to go to learn law issues and come back fighting for the pastoralist rights. So I'm, I'm trying to make sure I've, I'm... Fully understanding the story. So yeah. the land was for the use of the village. The tribes were grazing on it. And one day the, the president decides of the country, we're going to remove this land and hand it over for the public interest. And the public interest is for hunting purposes of people coming from outside of the country. And you saw this and you wanted to change it. Well, um, when I saw this, actually I had so many questions to ask myself about it. Because this is the village land. It's a piece of land where pastoralists live in, agro-pastoralists live in. When I say agro-pastoralists, are those people who keep small number of cattle and at the same time conducting other economic activities. And at the same time, within this village land, there, there's what is called the game-controlled areas. And then within the game-controlled areas, they, can, they declared that this block, hunting block, should be given to this investor. But then, because the investor has been given under the ambit of the government, 
then he's not there to adhere to the rights of those indigenous peoples around the area. So then puts on rules and restrictions that cattle should not be fed within the location. So how do you fight this? How do you fight this? What do you do to change this? I mean, this is, you know, the traditional grazing lands has been removed for private use by your own government. What do you do? How do you respond to that? Actually, this, this was really very hard to fight against it. It took us actually time, though in one way or another we had some victory, what I may say. So um, this is because what we did is to make some advocacy down the, the grassroots to meet with our own pastoralists local people, discuss about these issues, and uh, again encouraging them to go before the court and claim this right. And they managed, at a point, their cases were thrown. When you were meeting with the community and, and advocating, I assume with others, that you should go to court and fight, what did the people say when, when you had that discussion? Well, the pastoralistic community were very happy about it, that there are people uh, at least behind them who can assist them in legal opinion. So at least they were so encouraged to go to the court. So they were like, yes, we have somebody who'll fight for us. We have, we have people with legal knowledge now. In fact, they did not even think of depending to another person from out that let's look for an external uh, support because they believe like, okay, our young men who are in school are coming up and we believe in them that they will at least assist. Without forgetting your point, actually, they went back to the court and they filed the case. Uh-huh. The case was thrown at a point. But again, they repealed. Now the case is in the court. So you're fighting as, this case as, right as we now. we are talking here. Right now. Yeah. And the auction or the acts, rather threats and um, beatings that were being done within that block. I'm sorry. Is that threats, beatings, actions within the block? Yeah. Tell me about those. I mean, um, the acts that were applied, which were illegal, applied to the citizens or these local people, pastoralists, when they go to graze within that land and uh, the beatings that were applied to, all those sort of harassment applied to the pastoralists is what I can say. So it's like, it's now at least a law. Because you helped, because now there's a little bit of a spotlight on the activities. And so now the authorities are watching more closely. That's one. Second is the local communities are aware now of where to protect or to claim their rights that has been forbidden to them. And what is your role in all of this now? What do you do now to, with the lawsuit and with the organizing? What do you personally do? Well, for us, what we do is to capacitate the local community to understand their land rights and the way forward there too. For example, we had an opportunity to convene um, a meeting. It was a very big meeting celebration uh-huh. kind of, of 50 years of pastoralism struggle because they are land rights. We managed this when we invited them in. We discussed the all issues pertaining to land rights. So with these meetings that we have um, frequently down the villages and that we meet in the offices, we keep on uh, sensitizing them on how to fight against the rights. Do you, are you, do you run these meetings? Are you? Yep. Are you, are you the leader? I do. No, not a leader, but I'm an activist. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, they are leaders, but I'm an activist among of them. Got it. Yeah. Where does the leadership come from in the community? 
Um, in Maasai community, leadership is it's not an easy task to get in, but when you get in, you become really a strong leader. Um, there is a way to uh, elect a traditional leader within the pastoralists themselves. They look at the background of the pastoralist himself. Mm-hmm. They look at uh, the surrounding relatives. They look at your state status. I mean, how you address issues, how you interact with people. And then they take um, what they call uh, traditional leaders meetings, a secret meeting to inspire you. What does this person do? How is his conduct? How is he approaches issues? Then they come, they call a general local community members meetings. They held several number of meetings. Then the day they select, they elect you, they just come, they hold a big meeting. They bring a bull. Uh-huh. Then they bring an heifer. And then they bring, um, there's a special, uh, special stick, which is black usually, which is given by elders to the leaders only. That this is now a stick that you use to lead our people. Wow. So it's really the, the, the existing leaders of the community pick the, the next generation of leaders by just looking at their qualities and, and consulting with the community. Sure. And what I'm gathering is that you, what you do is you bring your education and experience to help advise these leaders and give them the tools to, to mm. fight. Is that fair? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is, this is um, I take the legal uh, point of view, education, formal education that I gained back to school, uh-huh. then compiling with my traditional knowledge, then go to advise them on how to fight for their rights. <laughs> you smile when you talk about that. Yeah. Do you like your work? Yeah, exactly. It's exciting. <laughs> you, uh, Especially if you deal directly with, um, with the issues that it touches to people's lives. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't yeah, it? It feels good. feels good to make a difference. Yeah. What have you found to be the hardest thing about becoming an activist? What are the biggest challenges to being an activist for you? One is um, the, the political ideologies. What do you mean by that? Most of... Uh, political leaders in Tanzania, for example, are ignorance of people's rights. And so to say, it does not mean that they don't know really in reality, but people have got what is called a conceptual uh, misunderstanding of other people's livelihood. And when you say that they have a conceptual misunderstanding of other people's livelihood? Um, Most of the leaders like what is so-called Western life, life living in the apartments, beautiful cars driving, without regarding the pastoralist or the communities that depends on nature. Wow. What I'm hearing you say is that, is that they value that life more. They believe that that life is a better life than the pastoral life. Is that fair? Not only pastoral life, that they, they, they kind of weigh their lives better than the others' lives. Right. Their Not lives necessarily are better. to be a pastoralist life. More people should live like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> is, is that what they're saying? This is what they think of. Right. What do you do to combat that? What do you do to try to fight and change their opinions of what's valuable in Tanzanian society? In fact, what we are doing currently is basing on the legal aspects. We have uh, international conventions that actually support human rights approaches, such as uh, United Nations declarations on the rights of indigenous people, 
back 2007. We have the um, Nation Declaration on Human Rights. These conventions Tanzania is part of. So by using these instruments, actually, we tend to make sure that we bring the world together. Because Tanzania has uh, voted in favor of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, but still doesn't not adhere to. It's, this is the challenge of activists everywhere. Exactly. Is I guess is well, it is. I think it is. It's the the principles are enacted into law. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at our country, mm-hmm. right? All men are created equal. I mean, geez, they even put man in the title, right? Mm-hmm. It took us mm-hmm. a couple of decades, a couple of centuries to get women's right to vote. This idea that, yes, these are your principles, but you don't adhere to them. Yeah. How do you yeah. hold people to their own principles? I think is always the challenge of activism everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a problem. And uh, I, can, I can also consider the ignorance of law because some of the political leaders who are really in power, most of them do not know what the law states. It's only that they... They need to proud of themselves that oh, exactly I'm a mayor. Right, right. I'm a governor. But right, it's then the, what do you right. do as a governor? Yeah, yes. that the power is more important than the law. Exactly. Yes, I think that is also a problem of activism everywhere, except that the circumstances and the effect of that, that difference can be very different sure. in different places. What advice would you give to a young person who wanted to try to make a difference in the world? What would you say to them? One thing is that that person must be ready. He should be ready or she should be ready to fight against it, what she wants. That's one. Second, um, needs to read um, the current and the past situation of the country. That what are you really fighting for? Should be knowledgeable of the subject matter that the person wants to address too. And uh, the other issue is uh, activism is very hard. It's not easy. It is something that actually needs a person to commit himself, commit uh, on whatever that he wants to address to, and be ready to fight for any circumstance. So I um, like to end a show by asking my guests to pick a tune that, that means something to them. And you picked a song called Different Colors, One yeah. People yeah. by Lucky Dubay. Dubay. Yeah. Um, why'd you pick that song? Uh, I picked that song for one big reason. We know we are all human rights activists, and the human right is an alienable right, cannot be taken from someone. And with this, um, it is all about human integrity. Then, despite of colors that we have, despite of the continents that we live, but we need to fight all together to make sure that people are living in peace and harmony. Oh, 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 oh.